Thank you for tuning in to Living Life with Purpose, a ministry of Florida Bible Church in Miramar, Florida. At Florida Bible, we believe that life is preparation for eternity and hope this message will be an encouragement and blessing to you. More information about Florida Bible can be found at www.floridabible.org. You know, it dawned on me, everything is free with God. Salvation is free through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, and air conditioning is free, huh? Are you loving this cool weather? I am going to turn the air conditioner off, open the windows, and and have a great night. We're going to continue our series tonight for two more weeks, and we've been recently reaching out to our unbelieving friends. You know, it really does matter what you believe, and it really matters if you believe something at all. And so we've been taking on some of the tough questions that that folks often ask us. Things like, is there really a God? And you know, I think if most of us are honest, it's not only the unbelievers that struggle with some of these questions, but I think even sometimes we do too. Sometimes, you know, God, the, the idea of God is so overwhelming that sometimes we even, who are people of faith, say, can it really be true? Last week we looked at, if God is a God of love, then how come he allows suffering? If God really is a God of love, how come he allows so much suffering to occur in the world? Today, we're going to look at another hard question. If God is all-powerful, why does he allow evil to exist? If God's so powerful, why does he allow that? See, that's one of the great atheist challenges. Atheist challenge in this particular thing concerning evil goes kind of like this. It says, a good God would destroy evil. An all-powerful God could destroy evil. Evil exists. Therefore, a good, a loving, and all-powerful God cannot exist. 18th century philosopher David Hume said it this way. Is he willing to prevent evil but not able? then he's impotent. Is he able, but not willing? Then he's malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Well then, why is there evil? So, why does God allow evil? Is he not able? I mean, did it overcome him? Or does he just not care? Why does God allow evil to exist in the world? Well, there's two errors that you've got to avoid in answering this question. One of them is this. It is that to believe that God is the source of evil. See, a lot of people think that God brings evil into people's lives. He brought evil in the world to punish us or anything else. But the Bible clearly tells us that there are things that God cannot do. Did you know that? Even though God's omnipotent, the scripture is clear about this. There are things that God cannot do. In Titus 1.1, it says, God cannot lie, among other places. In James chapter 1, the first part of verse 13, he says, He can't be tempted by evil. Can't happen. And we saw the reality of that in the temptation of Jesus, who was God in flesh. When in 40 days after his baptism, he was in the wilderness, in his weakest physical condition, Satan came and tempted him, and yet even in his weakest physical condition, he could not be tempted with evil. Why? Because God cannot be tempted with evil. 
The same verse, and the second part of the verse says that he doesn't tempt others to sin. You know, I've even heard believers, and I've got to be honest with you, in, in my early Christian experience, there were times when, when I did this too. When I would be tempted to sin, and I would say, God, why are you doing this to me? You know this is a weak part of my life. God, you, you, you know how, how, how this temptation really is powerful in my life. God, why, why are you tempting me with this? And then as I grew spiritually and I understood God's word and I began to understand the character of God, I understood that's impossible. Listen, whenever we are tempted to do evil, you can be absolutely certain of one thing, that God has nothing to do with it. James goes on to say that most of the time when we're tempted to do evil, it's because we're drawn away of our own desires and we act on our own desires. But God never tempts. Also, anything out of the character of a righteous God. God can't do anything out of his character. His character in, in 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. God cannot act out of love. Everything he does has love at its center because God, the Bible says, is love. Psalm 99.9 says, God is absolutely holy. God is incapable of doing anything that is unholy. And then also, God can't do that which is irrational or absurd. And people do this all the time. You know, well, God, can God make a square triangle? No. Or can God make what is false? True. No. Or can God make a rock so big that he can't move it? No. It's absurd. It's irrational. God doesn't live in an irrational, absurd world. So what is the source of evil. Well, in answering that and identifying that, you got to understand three things about evil. There are actually three kinds of evil. The first kind of evil is spiritual evil. And that is absolute direct rebellion against God. This is evil at its core. This is evil at its origin. And it's direct rebellion against God. Then we have moral evil. Moral evil is man's evil perpetrated against his fellow man. That's things like murder and rape and theft and adultery and lust and lying and deception and cheating and, and, and all those kind of things. All those moral infractions. That's moral evil. And then finally, there's natural evil. That's the evil that can, can come into our lives through the forms of natural disasters like tornadoes and earthquakes and hurricanes and floods and famines and, and all those kind of things that, that cause death and destruction. Now, here's what we need to understand about this. These just didn't happen. There was a very certain, traceable evolution of evil's entrance into the world. It all started with spiritual evil. Now, I'm going to show you a couple passages. I'll bet you a lot of folks here tonight have never ever seen these passages or never understood them before. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28... The prophet Ezekiel, God inspiring him, is railing against this evil king of Tyre in the Middle East. And boy, he is going on about him. He's talking about, he's giving him what for. And about halfway through the tirade, though, he changes from attacking the king to attacking the spiritual evil behind the moral evilness of the king. And he goes back to the beginning of evil, spiritual evil. And look what it says. It says, beginning in verse 12, You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, 
the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Ruby, topaz and emerald, chrysolite, onyx and jasper, sapphire, turquoise and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. Now understand, God is speaking now through, through, through Ezekiel. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before king. Now let me ask you, who is he speaking of? He's speaking of who? He's speaking of Satan. Now, who he's really speaking of is Lucifer. He's speaking of Lucifer, one of the, the guardian angels in the kingdom of God. And the name Lucifer, as it accounted to in this passage, means son of the dawn. Like the beauty of the sun rising over the ocean in the morning, that majesty. God said, I created you perfect in form. He said, every imaginable precious stone was your clothing. You were beautiful. I created you perfect. You walked on the mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. He said, you had it all. You were my inner circle until wickedness was found in you. What was that wickedness? Isaiah describes it. In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. How have you fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn, Lucifer? You have been cast down to earth. You have once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will rise, raise my throne above the stars of God. In other words, the other angels of God. I will sit enthroned on the mountain of the assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like who? The Most High. See, Lucifer, in all the created beauty and splendor and power and majesty that God had created him to be, allowed pride to set in his heart. And so he staged a coup against God, if you can imagine that. And the Bible says elsewhere that a third of the angels of heaven joined him. And so Lucifer was cast to the earth, and the third of the angels who joined him became the, the demonic world that we know today. And with that, spiritual evil came into God's created universe. It was the source, it was the origin of all evil. Soon it gave birth to moral evil. And we know that story because that story is in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 through 6. When Eve was walking through the garden one day and the serpent, Lucifer in the form of a serpent appeared to her and said, so God said you can't eat of any of the trees of the garden, huh? See how Satan lies? So you can't eat any of this, huh? 
And he said, no, 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 God didn't say that. God said we can eat of all, all the He said, well, but, but God did say there was one tree in the middle of the garden that we shouldn't eat it, and neither should we even touch it. And you see how we exaggerate things of God? Because God never said we couldn't touch it. He said just don't eat it. He said, or we'll die. And so what Satan says is, oh, you're not going to die. You surely won't die. He says, here's why God doesn't want you to eat the fruit of that tree. Because when you eat the fruit of that tree, your eyes are going to be open. And like God, you're going to know and understand you'll have the knowledge of good and evil like God. And God doesn't want you to have that kind of knowledge. Now, if you ever stop and think about it, Satan wasn't lying to her. That's exactly what happened. Only what man did not understand is that we can't handle the knowledge of good and evil. That wasn't a good thing. So it goes on to say, so when Eve looked at the tree and saw that the fruit looked delicious, and when she understood that it was powerful in obtaining wisdom to be like God, she ate it and she gave to her husband who was with her. And as we saw last week in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and therefore death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Spiritual evil gave birth to moral evil. Moral evil then gave birth to natural evil. Romans chapter 8, verse 20 and 22, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. See, natural evil became the consequence of spiritual evil and moral evil. And that evil unleashed into the world upset the whole balance of the creation that God had made. And so now we have hurricanes, and now we have tornadoes, and now we have famines, and now we have floods, and now we have things that devastate entire cities, entire people groups. We have tsunamis and all the things that we, we are horrified when we read about in the newspaper and when we see the images on TV. It all came from spiritual evil that gave birth to moral evil, that gave birth to natural evil. So when you start talking about evil, know this for sure, God is not the source of evil. Now another area you've got to avoid is this though, that to believe that evil occurred apart from God's sovereign plan. See, this error says this, that evil entered the world because God was helpless to prevent it. And in fact, evil thwarted God's creative purpose for man and his creation. In other words, that God has some kind of a weakness in himself that allowed evil to overcome even his plans and his creation. Evil got the best of God, that's what that's saying. And don't confuse that for a moment. So, why then does God allow evil? I can answer that with two words. And those two words are free will. Free will. Dr. Richard Tompkins, I think, sums this up so well. A pastor, a Bible scholar. I love the way he puts this. So, why does God permit free will? Listen to this. 
It's a matter of love. Remember, God can't work outside of his character. And 1 John chapter 4 tells us that God is love. And so free will is an expression of God's love. See, there can be no love without free will. Love must be chosen, not dictated. Creatures who are free to love God must also be free to hate Him or ignore Him. Creatures who are free to follow His will must also be free to reject it. God has ordained that humanity be allowed to exercise free will. We can choose God's goodness or reject God's goodness. In doing so, we determine the degree of evil that exists both in the world and in our individual lives. The only way that God can totally eliminate the corruption of his perfect goodness is to no longer permit free will. And when people act in ways outside the will of God, great evil and suffering result. Therefore, God is responsible for making evil possible, but we are guilty for making it a reality. God could have made us like one of those little dolls that you hold and pull the string and the doll says, I love you. Pull it again, the doll says, I love you. God could have made us just like that. But how rewarding is that to him or to us? When you're lonely, when hard times visit you, have you ever run the Toys or Us and bought one of those dolls, sat down at home in a chair and pulled the string and let it say, I love you? Why not? Because it means nothing. It's mechanical. There's no sincerity in it. There's no passion in it. There's no relationship in it. And so God, who created us to commune with, to have fellowship with, to have relationship with, in order for that to be pure, and God cannot act out of His character, God cannot do anything manipulative. God cannot do anything to me. God, because he is love and because he is holy and because he is pure, God had to in order to have a genuine relationship with his creation man. He had to give us the free will to love him or to hate him. To embrace him or reject him. Only then is the relationship honest. Only then does the relationship have meaning. Only then 
is that relationship on both sides fulfilling it all. The atheist challenge, a good God would destroy evil. A good God, an all-powerful God, could destroy evil. Evil exists, therefore God doesn't exist. Not so. Reality is this. God is not the source of evil. God is all-powerful. Now get this. God has not yet destroyed evil. In the book of Romans chapter 1, it says that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago when we answered the question, is there really a God? In the Bible, in the New Testament, which was written in Greek, there are two words for wrath. One word is thymos. And thymos is the act of wrath of God. Thymos was God in the day of Noah flooding the world and destroying all of mankind except Noah and his family. Thymos is God allowing the Red Sea to engulf the armies and the chariots of Pharaoh who were pursuing the, the Israelites as they left the land of Egypt to go to the promised land that God was leading them to. That's his active, demonstrative, dramatic, horrible wrath. But that's not the wrath that the Bible's speaking of here. There's another word for wrath, and that word is orge. And orge is a wrath that is being held that is being abated, that is being internalized. See, God hates evil more than we hate evil. God wants to destroy evil more than we want evil to be destroyed. But right now, God is holding back his thymos. In this time, in this dispensation, but mark it down, one day God will destroy evil. One day, at some appointed time that we don't know about, that even the angels in heaven don't know about, at some appointed time, God's going to say, this is the day, this is the hour, it's done. And he will destroy evil. The book of Revelations talks about it. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They were tormented day and night forever and ever. Spiritual evil will be destroyed. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake is the fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of the life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. Moral evil will be destroyed. And the Bible goes on to say that God will destroy the present earth and he will create a new earth. Natural evil will be destroyed. Spiritual evil will be destroyed. Moral evil will be destroyed. Natural evil will be destroyed. You can take that to the bank. 
Book of Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says, Don't you be deceived about this. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. You sow a life of evil. You will reap evil that is unimaginable. See, because we always reap more than we sow, don't we? And if we sow evil, the day is going to come when God will judge evil, not us. He's going to judge evil in the world. And if we happen to be in the evil room when he judges evil, look out. At the same time, God is going to reward those that sow a life of goodness and righteousness and love. And the only way to be in that room is through what Jesus did on the cross. In the meantime, there's a purpose for evil. For those of us here, you know why? Because you know, evil is going to visit our life too. Some of us have already had evil visit our life, probably all of us. I don't want to be a prophet of doom, but it's going to happen again. But right now, as God, we learned last week, uses suffering for good. Although God hasn't brought evil into our lives, He can even use it for good. I got thinking about, well, how about me? How does evil help me? I got to thinking about it. Enduring evil helps me to hunger for God's holiness. You know, the truth of the matter is, most of us are alike, and we really do love God. Most of us have some evil in our life that we're not really all that disappointed it's there. And sometimes in our life, we even go back to that evil closet and open it up and dabble in it for a while because for some reason the evil, the sin fulfills some momentary need in our life it medicates some feeling of loneliness or some feeling of stress but for those of us who are getting older and I know some of you are older than I. My experience is this. The older I get, and the more I see what evil does to people, and the more I see what evil has done in my life, I hunger for God's holiness. I hunger to be with God. I hunger for the day that he judges evil and we don't have to live with it anymore. I hunger for the day I don't have to go to the hospital and make another visit on a dying patient. I hunger for the day I don't have to be called out by the fire department and go to where two teenage boys have, have died in a car wreck and are laying on the side of the street. I long for the day when I don't hear about people being robbed and murdered and, and raped. The more evil I see, the more I, I dig, I agree with God, and God, you're right. Evil 
is wrong. Evil is horrible. Evil is destructive. Enduring evil helps me measure God's mercy. The more I know about God, and the more God has revealed Himself to me, the more I understand how merciful He's been to me. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 5, But God demonstrated His love to us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what? Sinners are the ones who think they're saints. Sinners all the time are saying, you know, I'm not so bad. I'm not like that guy. I'm not like that woman. At least I don't do this, and I've never done that. And I'm a pretty good person. When you ask most people if they think they're going to heaven, they're going to say yes. And when you ask them why do they think that, what are they going to say? I'm a pretty good person. See, it's the sinners that think that the saints... It's the saints who recognize that we're sinners. And yet God, because He is love, has extended to us mercy. It helps me to understand why He hasn't put an end to evil yet. Because the second Peter 3 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. In other words, he's not slow in sending Jesus Christ back the second time because when Jesus comes back the second time is when he's going to judge evil. He's not slow in doing that. He's got a reason he hasn't sent him back yet because he is patient with us. Why? Because he doesn't want anyone to be in the evil room when his thymus, evil judgment, is poured out. But he wants everyone to come to repentance. God's mercy is awesome. That man that we at work that drives us crazy, that woman who gossips, or that woman who's evil, God loves that man. God loves that woman. And even in their horrendous, horrific behavior, he does not want them to be in the evil room when he judges evil. So he holds Jesus back one day after another. Enduring evil helps me respect God's redemption now and for eternity. Book of Revelation describes the universe after God has judged evil. After he's created a new heaven and a new earth. And it's a beautiful, beautiful description. It says, The angel showed me the river of water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. No longer will there be any curse. See me? No longer will there be any evil. There won't be any spiritual evil anymore. There won't be any moral evil anymore. There won't be any natural evil anymore. 
No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb of God will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Now think about this. If God still desires to have an honest relationship of love with His creation, then even in heaven, He must allow free will. So what is going to keep us from doing it all over again? I think it's going to be this. Once we have lived this life and lived evil and had evil visit us and have evil visit our family members and our neighbors and our, and our loved ones and we see the impact of evil, we will never again have a desire to go back to that time. And we will agree with God that He is holy. And we will bow our knee and we will confess to the glory of God that Jesus is Lord. So evil has its purpose even now. Where are you tonight? Are you still living in the evil room? Are you still living with the full penalty of your own sinfulness on you? Have you never allowed Jesus Christ to intervene for you and satisfy your sin debt by the sacrifice He did on the cross? So, He's held Jesus back just for you. Jesus hadn't come back yet just for you. And tonight he gives you the opportunity to trust him and I'm going to give you that opportunity in just a moment. But for some of us who are believers, we have trusted God. Some of us have got that foot in that evil room. And we're still playing with it. We're still messing with it. And God's saying, how many times are you going to have to get burned before you get it? How many times, how much suffering are you going to want to experience before you get it that it's not going to give you what you think it's going to give you? Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. Thanks for listening. Here at Florida Bible Church, we believe the first and most important step in life's journey is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So the question is, how about you? If you haven't started this relationship, you can use this model prayer. Jesus, I do want to begin a relationship with you. I know that I have sinned against you and cannot save myself. So right now, I ask for your forgiveness of all my sins, and I accept you as my personal Savior, believing that you died on the cross and paid for all my sins. Forgive me now, and please give to me your precious gift of eternal life. Amen. You can find this prayer along with more detailed information on our website 
at www.floridabible.org. Just click the Beginning a Relationship with Jesus button. There you will also learn more about us and find the next steps for a Christ follower. Thanks again for listening to Living Life with Purpose.